Support for WIPR's podcasts comes from Brightview Senior Living. Since 1999, Brightview has proudly served Greater Baltimore with vibrant, independent living, assisted living, memory care, and enhanced care. Find a community near you at brightviewseniorliving.com. Everyone calls him Charlie. We call him Charlie. My brother and I have called him Charlie since we were kids. That's how we know him. Even if people thought it was weird that we never called him dad, he was always just Charlie. I know you don't know me, and I hope it's okay that I'm reaching out to you. I don't think your son has as much time as he thinks he does. I actually think he's going to die. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Stoop Storytelling Series podcast. I am Jessica Hinkin. And I'm Laura Wexler. And this week, in celebration of Mother's Day, we have two stories from mothers about the power and powerlessness that comes from loving. We first, before we get started, want to thank the Park School, which is an awesome, independent, co-ed, non-sectarian, progressive, pre-K through grade 12 school located right outside of Baltimore. Okay, so our first story today is shared by Brandy Klein, who um, is an animal lover, which is good because she runs a local pet sitting and dog walking business. And when she's not doing that, uh, she is taking care of her 10-month-old daughter and her uh, tween stepson, who knows everything, as they do. Uh, Brandy's story was shared at a show that was presented in partnership with Women in Business at Johns Hopkins Carey School of Business. And this was a show that we did um, earlier this spring, um, a show about well, somewhat about the pandemic and about what it showed us, what it revealed, and sort of trying to bring out and highlight some of the experiences during the pandemic. So please listen to this story from Brandy. Hi, everyone. Thanks for being here. So I guess 2020, like last year, was crazy and weird um, for everyone. I uh, was eight months pregnant this time last year when everything just sort of started shutting down. Um, I was already a little nervous because it was my first baby, so I didn't really know what to expect, but I try not to watch the news too much. I wanted to be informed, but I didn't want my anxiety to go crazy. So until the baby was born about mid-April, things were going good. My business was suffering a little bit, but she was a happy, healthy baby. And thankfully, my husband was able to be with me in the delivery room. Um, We stayed for a few days because I had a C-section. My mother was able to quarantine for a few weeks so that she could come and stay with us once we came home with the baby. And that was a huge help. So um, we were very grateful that we didn't have any horrible experiences and that I didn't have to do that alone. Fast forward to July when the baby's little over three months old, my father came to visit. So my father's name is Charlie. Um, Everyone calls him Charlie. We call him Charlie. My brother and I have called him Charlie since we were kids. That's how we know him. Even if people thought it was weird that we never called him dad, he was always just Charlie. He moved to Texas um, about 18 years ago. Uh, He got a job teaching at Texas Tech University doing landscape architecture, which was his passion. And about nine years ago, he met a wonderful woman named Terry and eventually got married to her. So they were both very anxious to meet their new grandchild. Um, But of course, we were all worried. We were worried because Texas was a hot spot. They're in their mid-60s, so we wanted to be extra careful, which they were, and they ended up driving from West Texas to Baltimore to spend a couple weeks here and meet 
our baby. So it was a really great visit. The baby was just starting to kind of laugh and giggle and smile. And um, my father has a real deep voice and he would sing and talk to her and she was totally enamored. It was a really great visit. And we made plans to visit Texas next year, which we usually do every other year anyway. So fast forward to shortly after Thanksgiving, um, Charlie and Carrie uh, were diagnosed with COVID. So they were sick. They were able to recover at home for about a week. Um, I was starting to get worried and then Charlie ended up in the hospital with pneumonia. Um, it was hard few weeks. I wasn't sleeping, I wasn't eating. I was just worried. I couldn't believe that this was happening, that they were so careful and this still happened. And um, Christmas morning came, it was the, you know, my baby's first Christmas, my mom was there, my stepson, my husband, but I hadn't slept at all the night before. I was totally checked out. I was just so worried about my dad and I hadn't heard any updates yet. And later that evening, I had to head out for a few things for work. And I got a text from Perry texting me and my brother saying that she needed to FaceTime us right away. And I had a feeling that something was going on. So I started to drive home because I just wanted to be home, but I had to pull over because she called as I was driving. And in a parking lot of an apartment complex, I sat there in my car while my brother and I said goodbye to my father for the last time on FaceTime. And it was awful. I, I've heard stories like that in the news and I couldn't believe that I was one of those people experiencing it. But thankfully, Terry was able to be with him um, when he passed. He wasn't alone. Um, so anyway, uh, losing a parent is hard enough, but I think it's, I'm just angry that he had to be part of those numbers that you see on the news every day, the 500,000. Every one of those numbers is somebody that mattered to another person. So I just want to end this with telling you um, something that I did when Charlie was sick and I was really worried. I became obsessed with that thing you do where you see the clock and all the numbers are the same and you make a wish. And I would always wish, I hope Charlie gets better. I hope Charlie comes home. And, and I always just made a wish and I became so obsessed with it so that the next day after he died and the first time I saw the clock with all the numbers the same, I almost lost it. And I even told my husband about what I was doing because I felt so silly. But instead of getting sad about it now, whenever I see the clock that way, I don't make a wish. I just say, I love you, Charlie. I miss you, Charlie. I'm thinking about you. And if you're one of those people that's like me, like maybe you're just a little superstitious and you happen to notice the clock and you make a wish, maybe if you think about it, just think of someone you love, think of someone you haven't talked to in a while, think of someone who's suffering because of everything going on and just reach out, say hello, think of the stories you heard today. And um, anyway, thank you for listening to my story and I hope you all take care. All right. Uh, what I what I love about that story is just the the that she's she's able to say like in such a pure way I'm really angry like I'm really angry that this is what happened to my dad and all people who are in this situation and I yeah. feel like that the purity of that anger is very I don't know it's just it's very inspiring in a way and then just also just to think about being a person to experience both birth like the birth of your child and the death of your parent during the pandemic. I don't know, there's something about like the, the experiencing birth and death 
in this year that I think is really memorable. Absolutely. Before we move on to our next story, um, we want to thank our new sponsor, Mend Acupuncture, which has been voted the best place to get poked. It offers enjoyable and low stress acupuncture sessions, uh, starting at the very reasonable price of 35 bucks in the Baltimore area. So our next storyteller, our next mom for Mother's Day is Kelly Gill. She's a native of Baltimore, a mother of four, aspiring writer, and you know, like many of us, a million other things. She's also the co-founder of Love in the Trenches, which is working to eradicate the shame and stigma associated with substance abuse disorders. This um, story was part of a show that was presented in partnership with a, a diverse um, group of organizations from across the Baltimore metro area that are all working to increase awareness and understanding of substance use disorders and really to reduce the misconceptions that can be barriers to seeking help. So let's listen to Kelly's story. My son Randy moved to um, Florida when he was 27 as part of a um, continuing recovery program. He had gotten sober here in Baltimore and um, thought it would be a good idea to continue his recovery in a sister program that they had down in Florida. And he enjoyed a, quite a bit of success both in his life and in his recovery and built a pretty great life for himself down in Florida. And uh, around the eighth year or so, tenth, maybe somewhere between the eighth and tenth year uh, that he lived down there, uh, it was abundantly clear that he had relapsed. Um, so we, I had a lot of denial, and it's very easy to lie to um, your mom when you live in another state. Uh, but one day I got a private message on social media from someone who said, I know you don't know me and I hope it's okay that I'm reaching out to you. I don't think your son has as much time as he thinks he does. I actually think he's going to die. Uh, my name is Kelly and I found you because he told me his mom's name was Kelly too. And in that moment, any shred of denial that I was still holding on to about how sick Randy was, was completely shredded. And I was really excited that this woman wasn't going to let him go down without bringing in reinforcements. And I finally had eyes on the ground down in Florida. So uh, we quickly became friends and we quickly started to covertly find ways that we could save his life and uh, get him back into recovery. She finally found him. She called me one day and said, I, I can't reach him. Some guy named Peanut has his phone, and I know that's not that guy's real name. That has to be the name of a drug addict, and we can't find him anywhere. She drove around for hours, and finally she found him in a convenience store. And he said, thank God you're here. I need your phone. I have to call your mother. That poor woman probably thinks I'm dead. She was scared to give him her phone because then my phone number would show up and he would realize what she'd been up to. So she asked him for the number. She dialed it and he called me and he said, Ma, I know you've been worried about me. I lost my phone, but I am fine. He was anything but fine. 
Within a few weeks, we were able to convince him to come to Baltimore and get back into recovery, and I had a short window. My plan was to fly down there, get him, fly him back. So I flew down there, and as soon as I landed, I called him to say, I'm here. I'm here to save your life. And he said, you know what? I'm not ready. I have a lot of work to do. If you could just maybe go get yourself some lunch, uh, I'll be ready in a little bit. And I had a really bad feeling. I choked down a Caesar salad with some dry chicken on it and quickly called him back and said, okay, we're going to go. We're going to go back to Baltimore now. And he said, mom, I'm not going to make it. I am. I'm so busy. And I said, I need to see you. I'm not leaving Florida without seeing you. And he said, great, bring cigarettes and a pizza, please. So I went to the place where he was living, which was an empty warehouse. He had a small office off to the side with whatever he had managed to save jammed in there. And there was a small bathroom in the far corner of the warehouse. And as he walked towards me, I was kind of stunned. He was emaciated. And he said, sorry, I have so much work. And I could look beyond him and see there was no work. You know, his work was acquiring crack cocaine and lying a lot. And that's a full-time job. I left him, and I think I cried all the way to the airport and all the way home. And probably until I fell asleep that night. But I did get him home four days later. And... uh When he arrived at my house, he slept for three days. He got up only to grab food, almost like a zombie, and to go to the bathroom, and that was it. But on day four, we had an agreement that we were finally going to get him in treatment, and I was pretty excited about that. So on the morning of day four, I was a little surprised at 5 o'clock in the morning that he was up and so ready to go get help. So I came downstairs to the family room where I heard the TV, but I spotted my shoes by the back door. The backs were broken. They were muddy and wet. And I looked at him and I said, did you walk down the street in my shoes? And he said, yeah. You know, they don't sell drugs on Schwartz Avenue anymore. And I said, no, they don't sell drugs on Schwartz Avenue anymore. And then I realized his demeanor was a little off, and it occurred to me, I had thought to get all the drugs out of my house, but I had not remembered to get all the alcohol out of my house. And I ran downstairs, and I saw all the bottles lined up, and I touched them, and they were empty. So I came back upstairs and said, are you ready? You ready to go to treatment? You ready today? And he said, you know what? Today's not feeling like a good day. And I said, honey... We have a deal. I can't have a crack addict living in my home, and you're here to get sober, so let's just do it. And he said, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think it was a good idea for me to come home. I'm, I'm, gonna, uh, I'm probably going to have to go back to Florida. And I said, no, it's okay. It's okay. Let's go get clean. Let's get you clean. It's amazing how, it, as the mother of someone with uh, an addiction, we really want to fix that. We really, really want to fix that. And we can't. So he said, no, I'm not ready. I think it's best I go back to Florida. Actually, I'll, I'll get clean in Florida. I want to be with my sponsor. I want to be with my friends down there. I know what I need to do. And just, if I can't stay here for a few days and chill out, then send me back.
And I, I was pissed. And I promptly made arrangements for him to fly back in a few hours. And when I walked, I walked out of the room to do that. And when I walked back in, he said, Mom, do you think you could cut my hair? And um, it was about 7.30 in the morning. And the, we walked out on the deck. I had never cut my 38-year-old child's hair in my life. The, the grass was just glistening. And you could smell the becoming of fall. It was October. And he sat down in a chair. And one of his favorite things was always, ever since he was a little boy, was for me to rub his head. And I rubbed his head and I cut his hair. And in that moment, we were just a mom and her son. He wasn't suffering from addiction and I wasn't suffering from fear and powerlessness. It was a really beautiful moment. And what I knew and he knew was, regardless of this illness of a substance abuse disorder, there was great love. I didn't feel shame for myself or for him. And when we were finished, we got in the car and I grabbed his hand and all the way to BWI, I kept saying, you can change your mind. You can change your mind. And he kept saying, I know, mom, I know, but it's really best for me to go back to Florida. So we hugged each other tightly at the airport and he got back on the plane. And as soon as he landed in Florida, he sent me a text that said, I never should have left. Thank you for everything, Mom. I really love you. I'm going to be fine. And a year later, he was found dead from an overdose, crack cocaine and fentanyl. And a lot transpired in that year. But the best thing about that year is that he knew he was loved, and I knew he loved me. And I was able to co-found with a friend, a nonprofit organization called Love in the Trenches, because we know that parents who have children with substance abuse disorders are walking in the trenches. And we are here to provide support no matter what the outcome, because when you are an addict, there are only two outcomes, recovery or death. At Love in the Trenches, we're here to walk you through that with great love. And you can find us at loveinthetrenches.org. Thank you. You spend all your time waiting for that second chance. My, the so, part about the haircut, it just, it's such yeah. a beautiful, um, yeah. just moment in time. And yeah, we were all just yeah. a puddle of tears because we that was during COVID. So there was no audience. It was just this really intimate experience of being in this theater with, with only us and the storytellers around. Um, yeah. And just, I think the way that if you're a parent 
you cannot listen to Kelly's story without thinking it could be me. And the truth is it could. Like yep. there's none of us, the substance use disorder and the power of these drugs are so great that there, there are none of us that are safe from it. I don't mean that to like scare people. But I mean that to say it doesn't happen to other people. It happens to us, you know? And I think that is such a benefit of Kelly sharing her story is like, it just, it makes, it helps us understand how we're all at risk of this. And we should, this is a problem for everybody. This is a public health issue. It's not a problem of those people. And the other thing is just that it is always, it is always inspiring when somebody takes personal pain and turns it into, you know, a way to help other people. Mm -hmm. Um, I love that she's done that. And you can find Love in the Trenches online and learn about their work. Before we get out of here today, we want to thank the Wine Source. Uh, which is located on 3601 Elm Avenue in Hamden and has all your supplies for entertaining and, and eating and drinking well. And Golden West, an Omni restaurant with a vegan forward menu that is located on the avenue in Hamden and they have a late night carryout window and they're really good people. Please visit us at soupstorytelling.com to learn about our upcoming events. We have a live outdoor show, not, not on Zoom, no shade on Zoom, but we are very looking for, very much looking forward to being live with people on Saturday, June 5th. So check out our website to learn about that. And you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stoop Storytelling Series. Thank you to Maureen Harvey for producing and to you all for listening. We'll be back soon with more stories from the Stoops.